Welcome to Reading Between the Reels. I'm Matt Leader. And I'm Craig Dickinson. Today on the show, we conclude our series on Batman film introductions with the movie I've been wanting to do for a while, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, the ultimate edition. And I can see Matt's rolling his eyes. He's very excited to do this. Hope you're as excited as we are to talk about it. Matt, what are your overall thoughts for Batman v Superman? So, uh, Batman vs. Superman, uh, BVS, is a really, I, I found it a very difficult movie to watch uh, for a couple different reasons. Uh, the first being that I first saw this movie in theaters, so I saw the theatrical cut, and it is vastly different than the Ultimate Edition. And so there's a lot of kind of negative connotation just on a personal level than I have towards this film because I paid good money in the theater to, to go watch it. And it is a mess. It is just like gallon of milk spilled on the floor. Just awful, right? The theatrical cut is very different. The ultimate cut, on the other hand, uh, it, it ultimately does improve the film but I don't think that it's really a good movie. Um, and that's kind of what I want to focus on today. And, and what's really difficult about BVS is that there's a lot going on and there's a lot of parts that go into making this film. Like there's different stories, you get the different characters, just, there's just a lot going on. Um, and, you know, with the Ultimate Edition, it adds another, I think, like 30 minutes or more to the theatrical cut, in addition to, like, like really rearranging the editing of the film. Um, the most, well, I shouldn't say the most positive, because there are a few things that I like, and I will bring them up. But uh, the Ultimate Edition is a watchable film. And I think that's <laughs> my overall thought is that it's a watchable film, but it's a lot like cotton candy in that there's some sweet spots, but it quickly dissolves into nothing. Okay. <laughs> Very, fairly generous. And yeah, it, it is 30 minutes old, yeah. um, longer than, than the theatrical cut. And, so like and three, that's the three hours, over three hours. It, yeah. It's a little over three. I think it's three hours and two minutes. And yeah, you mentioned the editing is different too, which is like the most bizarre thing. You know, and there's a great quote I found uh, in researching this film from Chris Terrio that said it was an act of sabotage by the studio to have released the version that they did. It was not the version that they had obviously filmed and had ready because when it came, it came time for home video, here's the three hour cut, which mm -hmm. is even most most detractors would say it's a better film. They may not say it's a great film or even a good film, but they'll at least say it's better than what we got in the theaters and significantly better. Yeah. And, you know, word of mouth, I think, just killed this film because it had the massive opening weekend, but then it was like, well, yeah, I saw it. And then I, these are the things I didn't like about it. I loved the movie from the beginning, even the theatrical cut. I was, I, I didn't see it the opening weekend. I saw it a couple, a couple weekends after I even had the death of Superman spoiled for me by one of my students, which became an interesting lecture about why we are careful with spoilers. I was, you know, it was, it had been rumored. So I wasn't a massive shocked to me. I was like, yeah, and I know they've been wanting to do that storyline for a while. But I love Man of Steel. That is my one of my all-time favorite films. I've always liked Superman. He's my favorite superhero. And so one of the things I really liked about this film was how it connected to Man of Steel, especially uh, having kind of re 
shooting that uh, the opening scene where you see actually that Bruce Wayne was in Metropolis while it was going on. And I really like how they kind of have like this meta commentary about the destruction in Metropolis that a lot of people had, you know, as talking points. And a lot of the criticisms of Man of Steel was how much destruction and the loss of life and in, in, uh, I was going to say in Krypton in Metropolis. And so they've kind of addressed that by, you know, giving, you know, the, the in the person of, of Bruce Wayne that, you know, he's the one who's upset about that. So if you were upset about Man of Steel, hey, Batman's your guy, right? He's kind of the stand-in for the audience in that in that case. And I've always thought that the biggest thing that people don't like, and I could be wrong because I'm, it's a little bit of a straw man argument, I suppose, because I love the film. I'm like, what is the things that people don't like? And I always assume, maybe incorrectly, that it's really the characterizations that really is the thing that stick with people. They don't like the way Batman is portrayed. And we've talked in earlier shows about Batman killing um, and how that comes across as him being super violent at the beginning of this film. But I never had a problem with that. I think there's a lot of, and we'll talk about this as we get in, a lot of uh, hints earlier that it's setting up Alfred and definitely like his conscience that Batman's the bad guy, intentionally so, for most of this film. And uh, it's really, it's kind of a hero's journey film for him in a lot of ways, which is interesting as it's his introduction into the, the DCEU. But I do think, my last thought I'm just going to say is I do think that it's a really powerful examination of our preconceived ideas about who's good and who's not. I think it really asks some interesting questions and maybe that's speaks to me and it doesn't speak to other people, but that's where I come down. on I think that's what I will say that uh, this is that um, it's, you know, it's great that you love the film. I think that's fantastic um, because like, who doesn't want a film that you enjoy? And I think this is actually, you know, kind of like a meta conversation about movies in general, that it's okay to like something and it's okay to not like something. And that it doesn't mean that you have to like, you can disagree without being a jerk to the other person. Yeah. <laughs> and, and uh, like Craig and I have long discussed this film just on our own. And I think we, we already have a pretty good idea of like how people feel about the film. Um, and I will say that there, I spend a lot of this time, like watching this movie, examining what didn't work for me because it, it, it really ultimately doesn't, but it's also in a way it does. And that's that's what I really grappled with this time. And so this is gonna be an episode that I'm, I'm pretty light on specific examples of some of the, you know, cinematography and color, because I think that overall, like moment to moment, the film is made quite competently where just giving you an example, and this is the, the best part of the film, in my opinion, is um, the opening 10 minutes, not necessarily um, the Wayne's murder, although I think it's filmed you know, quite nice, very visually pleasing with the slow motion. Um, and I will come back to this point, but I, this time I remember that, uh, Bruce, not Bruce Wayne, uh, Bruce Wayne's father, uh, says Martha, right. As he's lying on right. the ground. So I will come back to that. Cause we will, we will talk about Martha. Of course we will. So I didn't think it was necessary. But fine, you know, it's Batman intro. Okay, that, that works. And it's pretty short. Beginning of the film, like, I think that's fine. But the 9-11 commentary, essentially, I mean, we all know that's kind of what it's 
uh, at sure. least visually <laughs> referencing uh, with Bruce Wayne running into the uh, cloud of dust. And anyone yep. who's lived through that and watched that on TV, I don't know if you could see that and not immediately think of 9-11. Um, and it's quite gripping. It, it, it's... And this is where it's like that moment to moment of of seeing Bruce Wayne. He takes off in the car, you know, he gets out and, you know, he's calling. I forget who it is he's calling in um, um, Wayne Tower. But, you know, he, he hops out and the, the, as the tower crumbles, you see him taking off toward the building. Right. And I think that's some very nice, you know, character work for Bruce Wayne. Um you see him, you know, lifting the beam off his his coworker, who we see later in the in the film, uh, and then we see him save like the little girl and holding the little girl, looking up and seeing Superman, and it's like you're you're getting everything that's going on. I think that my issue really stems from the fact that this movie is trying to dig deep and trying to say something. But ultimately, it doesn't really have anything to say. The best way that I can kind of try to explain it is, you know, when we're talking to our students about theme, we always tell them theme is never a word. It has to be a sentence, right? It ha you have to say something. You can't just say the theme is war. <laughs> that doesn't work. Right. And this is where I feel like Snyder and company are saying 9-11. And it's like, okay, sure. Like, not what I was expecting, but okay, let's, you know, take me on the ride. And then there's not much else he has to say about it. It's kind of dropped. And there's several moments throughout the film where I feel like uh, Snyder and Terrio and um, who are the other writers on this? Uh, let me let me double check here really yeah. quickly. Uh, yeah, so David Goyer. Goyer wrote the first draft and then Terrio came in later to do rewrites. Right. I feel like they were throwing things out there. And uh, one of the quotes where, and this is kind of, you know, where I, this, this, you got me on this track right here by saying that Batman's the bad guy, right? At mm -hmm. least in the beginning. Um, when he and Alfred are talking and Alfred says, you're going to war. Bruce Wayne says, uh, that son of a bitch brought the war to us two years ago. Alfred, count the dead, thousands of people. What's next? Millions. He has the power to wipe out the entire human race. If we believe there's even a 1% chance that he is our enemy, we have to take it as an absolute certainty and we have to destroy him. That is abhorrent. <laughs> Only a Sith deals an absolute. <laughs> exactly. And I think it's exactly what you said, that he has this preconceived notion of who Superman is, right? Yeah. And that's not... He's not necessarily wrong in the sense that Superman is extremely powerful, but he is wrong in, in judging his character, right? And that kind of attitude right there is a very interesting philosophical uh, lens to examine. That's that's the mindset that Bruce Wayne is in, right? But we, I feel like we never get a true, a truly earned thematic statement about that. It's another instance of something that's put out there that's interesting, but the thought is, thought is never followed through enough to conclusion where they actually say something about this in, in a way that's earned. 
and I knew I threw a bunch of stuff out there. So I'm going to yeah. give you a chance to kind of talk a little bit too. Okay. Yeah. No, some, some really good stuff. I, I'm really glad you brought up the the shot of Bruce running into, into the smoke and, and, and the debris because I had that as well as that's one of the very first shots we get to see of, of Affleck playing Bruce Wayne. And it's, I think again, it's characterization, like look how brave this guy is and he just doesn't care. And so at this point, yeah, I, you know, on this rewatch, and I've seen this movie probably 20 times, I think there was a lot of things that I noticed that it made me kind of reevaluate my um, my opinion of the film and, and of, of Batman as the villain in particular. I think that really when you have the kind of the, it's essentially a prologue, right? Where it's kind of the end of Man of Steel where, where you see Bruce there. I don't think that at that point he is the bad guy. I think that this is the moment where he's pushed into that. And I think that there are some, some kind of telltale signs that, that this is what the filmmakers are trying to do. I think that there is the same shot, and it kind of speaks to performance as well. You see the look on his face as he's looking up at the end when he's holding the little girl. It's the same look he has on his face when he's looking at the vandalized Robin suit. And you see it a couple other times where it's, you have this progression of, I'm powerless. I could not stop this. And I think that this is kind of the moment. I think that's what they're trying to tell us is that this is the moment where he realizes that everything he's been doing is adding up to nothing. It's not enough. He can never do enough to really accomplish his mission. And he feels like he's a failure. And that's where he kind of just snaps. I do think that you're correct. I think that's that's definitely the same reading that I got from that. What I would say is I would just describe it as it's the moment that Batman Bruce Wayne is radicalized. Mm-hmm. It's That's the a good mo- word for it. It's the moment when he takes whatever ideas of justice and and you know whatever that he values and it 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 goes too far to the extreme. Where that quote that I just mentioned about the one percent chance that he could destroy us, we have to destroy him. That's the moment where that kind of clicks into place, mm-hmm. and he's like. That's what that's the mentality I have to basically have if I'm going to deal with Superman. I, I what I would ask you is, you know, what, you know, for like I said, for me, I find that mm-hmm. a pretty horrific <laughs> mentality to have sure. because because it it does not give anybody a chance, right? Because all of us have a one percent chance or something, you know, a non-zero chance yeah. of doing evil things. So it's like, what what does the movie have to say about that? Like within the text of the film, what's the response? Because, you know, we're, we're juggling around this idea of Batman is at some point is the bad guy. He has the bad mentality, right? Mm-hmm. What, what's the movie have to say about it, though? I guess that's kind of my my thing that, that I'm struggling with. Sure. Well, I you know, the thing I was struck by is how much this is, and we haven't ever gotten a proper sequel to Man of Steel. Darn it. I'd still like to see one um, because I think it's earned. But I think that, that this really does build off some of the themes that that um, that Goyer and, and Snyder wanted to accomplish in, in Man of Steel, whereas the, you know, if a alien, a powerful alien came to our Earth, like how would he be treated? Would he just be adopted immediately um, like we see in, in, in a lot of Superman media or would there be this, this natural distrust of him, and I think that that's one of the big things that I think this film does. It does a lot with um, kind of meta commentary as well. Where you're hearing like newscasts, you see Neil deGrasse Tyson and a bunch of other guys 
and they're you know Holly Hunter's character talking about you know is Superman like what's the role that Superman should play mm-hmm. you know, is is he you know somebody says you know is he maybe he's not a Christ figure or a Satan figure he's just you know a guy who's that powerful and so again whether or not it works is a different question but I think that what they're trying to accomplish is had this happened in a real world, there would be people who would be naturally distrustful of him. And so we've, again, we have Batman who has, you know, been in the shadows for 20 years, has a very small, I mean, we talk about echo chambers sometimes, right? Like on the internet, I only listen to these people and I, you know, block everybody else. He doesn't listen to anybody at this point. Like even Alfred, his closest confidant is telling him, dude, you can't do this. And he doesn't care. He's, he's kind of gotten himself into this, this cycle of rationalization, right? You've gotten to the part where he's Brandon guys now. And then you have, you know, Superman who's looking at him and not knowing him because he's not a public figure and going, well, this is a vigilante who's super violent and he has to be stopped and they don't know each other. And I think that's an interesting thing too, where we go, well, of course, Batman and Superman are friends. We've always seen them as friends, but before they meet each other, there's not really any legitimate logical reason that they'd be friends you know, they have very different ways of handling things. Yeah, uh, I I think you're I, you know, I think you're right that, you know, they are while they're both, you know, superheroes, they both go about it different ways. And I and for me, it's. It's like, OK, so we take we take Batman, we, we have at least a thesis statement for Batman's uh, M.O., right? Sure. Um, and I think that's a, a great point. I'm glad you brought up the branding um, because I think that's a very interesting choice. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's pretty dark because it feels, it feels very, very much, dark. Yeah. Like torture. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, among other things. But, you know, what's, what's kind of Superman's uh, uh, MO and what's his thesis statement? What's his philosophy? And I will throw this out there because, um, when Man of Steel came out, I, I rented it from Redbox many moons ago and never finished it because I didn't like it. Oh <laughs> and I still have oh. never finished it. So, oh my gosh, we have to do the movie. I love it so much. <laughs> so, I, you know, I could be missing a little bit of context from that film and I admit that. But it, it felt like, you know, there was one moment when uh, after the Capitol bombing, when Lois and uh, Superman's out on the balcony and she's saying like this, pointing to the the S on Superman's chest. This means something. Right. Now, my question is, what does it mean? <laughs> they never answer that question. They never, to me, hmm. they, they never explicitly say this is what Superman stands for right. as contrasted to what Batman stands for in this, in, in this film, right? Because obviously there's other media and stuff that we could look at. But within the context of this film... I felt like I was missing that. Yeah. Well, I mean, did you get to that part in Man of Steel where he's sitting with Lois and he, after he surrendered himself and she said, she looks at him across the table and says, what's the S for? No. And he says, and it's in the trailer too. And he says, it's not an S on my world. It means hope. Yeah. So it's a symbol. It's literally a symbol of hope uh, for the Kryptonian people. And so I take it as that's a direct reference to that, that this is, you're a symbol of hope. This this ass on your chest is a symbol of hope. Therefore, you are a symbol of hope. And, and, and I, I think that's one. Oh, go ahead. And I, and I get that. And that I kind of figured because she mentions mm-hmm. hope even in that scene. Right. But it goes back to my point that 
theme is never a word. It, it has to be a sense. <laughs> sure. No, <laughs> and, totally. And, and, and along I with think that, in the, and I'll just throw this out there real quick and then yeah. I'll, I'll let you talk is, is that it seems also very confused about what the general populace feels about Superman. Because I, I will say to the Ultimate Edition's credit, you do see Superman saving a few more people, which is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, we also have a lot of talk about how does Superman decide who lives, who dies. But mm -hmm. it's not really fair to Superman, right? Like, he can't be everywhere at once. Right. Even yeah. Superman can't be everywhere. So it's like, you're blaming him for, you know, for for trying. Like, it, it, it just feels like, yes, there's there's images of, especially outside the Capitol, uh, the defacing of the statue at the beginning of the film, where right. there are some people who hate Superman, maybe because they fear him. And then there's some people, maybe somewhere, who like him. But it's not really explained why they fear him, why they like him. I, I can kind of infer why they fear him that's not too hard right but it's like as far as why they have hope in him why they love superman i don't get that okay so a couple of things because i do want to kind of touch on uh cinematography as well really nice things together I'm, I'm loving this discussion so much so first off yes you want you need to watch the ultimate edition and the newest versions are in they have half dozen scenes in IMAX, which are gorgeous. And it's updating. I've noticed it's updating. If you bought the digital copy, it's it's updated. So like on, on YouTube, which is why I watched it, it was updated. It's eight, uh, HBO Max, it's, it's updated on there as well. So um, there's a couple of scenes that are fantastic with that. Some of them, I wish more, more of which, the, the big, most of the fight with the two of them is in IMAX. And we'll get to those kind of things. Uh, the nightmare sequences in IMAX as well. But the scene of you know him rescuing the girl in Mexico and those people are essentially worshiping him that is a very evocative scene you have uh this scene where he's in silhouette essentially behind the sun or you know right in front of the sun as the the lady on the you know the house that's being flooded reaching up to him where you have him very much like a a, a god figure he's you know he's a very jesus figure in this film in, in all of snyder's films really and we'll talk more about that when we get to the end there's some more um uh imagery for that as well but uh, I think that, again, thinking of, the, um, thinking of themes, and I love that you're challenging me on this because I did think a lot about this, that you know, it, that really is, and I had it for Hero's Journey, but I'll just go ahead and drop it here because I think it's, it's relevant now, is that you kind of have parallel Hero's Journey because of this. You do have, you know, we talked about Batman's kind of path to redemption, right? And becoming the Batman that we know, which is kind of an interesting thing, right? Because he's a very veteran Batman. We've had, you know, Keaton's Batman who's, you know, hasn't been doing it too long. He's, you know, I don't know, five, 10 years. We can probably guess roughly about that long. And then Bell's Batman, obviously starting out. This Batman's been around for much longer than those things and still has been working in the shadows. And then ultimately has to go through this film, the events of this film to become, you know, the Batman that we're familiar with. But you also have, I think, um, Clark's journey of self-realization that ultimately he was Superman kind of, because his dad wanted him to be Superman that he'd been given both of his dads, you know, he even got that from Jor-El in, in Man of Steel. Like, this is your destiny. This is what you need to do. You know, they're going to follow you, you know, in the, they'll join you in the sun. There's a lot of that. And it's very inspirational, but it's also kind of a heavy burden for him. 
And I think that's what you're seeing on the balcony with Lois too. And then you also have that kind of contrasted with, you know, the scene with his mom and she's basically like, yeah, be all those things or be none of it. You don't owe them anything. And I know some people have criticized that seems like, why would she say that? But like, if it was your kid and you could say, look, I want you to choose what you could do. And if you're going to be Superman, and I think that's ultimately where we get at the end is that he chooses to be Superman regardless of the consequences, because we do get that, that we have, for instance, all those people that are blown up in the Senate, in the Senate building, all those people die because he exists because Luther is trying to make a point. So he didn't cause it directly, but they died because he was there. You know, and that's another thing that, you know, this version of the film does a much better job than the theatrical version, whether he's being blamed for killing all of those guys in Africa. Um, because in the, in the ultimate edition, they show they're, you know, using a flamethrower. So we go, okay, heat vision. That's what we killed them. Cutting that scene out. We're like, Superman didn't kill those guys with a machine gun. What's the connection? It doesn't make any sense. Just egregious. Lots of stuff like that. So, uh, yes. <laughs> so when I said at the beginning that the theatrical cut was a mess, that's like a perfect example of it. Um, so along those lines, I <laughs> I actually think that I like your version of BVS better than Snyder's version of BVS. <laughs> and what I mean by that is that I actually think that's a quite beautiful theme, like a message uh, of choosing who you are right and that's what i mean by it feels half-baked it, it doesn't feel like it takes that next step where it sets up this idea of you know uh martha saying or yeah martha saying you know be who you want to be be who they want you to be be you know you choose you choose and it never makes that next step of I am choosing to be this. I am choosing to be the hero, the Batman that we know and that, and that we love. It just, it doesn't feel like it gets there. Uh, I think you can infer it, but I, I think that it's it's very weak, textually speaking. And, it, and I, uh, an example of this is, um, you know, this idea of choice and uh, the senator uh, played by... Um, Holly Hunter. Yes, Holly Hunter. Um, she, you know, she has like a fairly significant role in the plot, right? And she makes a very big point of standing up to Lex Luthor. Like she does not back down. No. Um, in that trial, when Superman walks in, right? I mean, that's that's a pretty on-the-nose metaphor, if you will, for you know, putting the idea of this godlike figure on trial, right? And I just think it's very indicative that Holly Hunter starts this speech about, you know, we're a democracy. In a democracy, you speak, you know, you speak your mind, you speak your truth. But guess what Superman never does? Yeah, he doesn't he, speak in that. He speech. doesn't say a damn word. And it's like he was waiting for her to finish her <laughs> opening remark. No, he's see, so the, polite. He's yeah, from Kansas. Yeah, I, I get that. But it's like these are the people who wrote the movie. They could have written more time into the film. Like, and that's, that's, that's where, I, that's what I mean by like, we never get that, that step of like, of Superman explaining to the world what he stands for. And I don't think we get enough of his action to really demonstrate that. 
yes, you know, the scene in Mexico, the um, you said, I think it was evocative, him, the, the Christ figure, yeah. right, coming down. And I think it's 100% true. It is evocative. It's just not deep. It's it's not meaningful. I, I did not find it meaningful in the sense of like, okay, if he's this kind of godlike figure, this Christ figure, what does that mean? Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Like, what are you trying to say about this? You brought it up. Now finish the sentence. Sure. And, and that's where that's <laughs> that's to me um, one of the quotes trying to come back a little bit away from my rants and back into, you know, the yeah, aspects, yeah, yeah. the lack of a quote, I think, is criminal. The fact that Superman does not get a chance, you know, to to explain here is what I'm doing, because I think you could make the argument that it's like he's trying to figure himself out. He is sure. trying to figure out who he is and what role he has to play in the world and being a savior or not being a savior. And it's like you had a perfect opportunity to elaborate and say something profound. And instead, he sits there broodingly and then it all blows up. <laughs> and the last thing before I end my rant for now, again, yeah. is that. I feel like that's very much a Snyder film, which is conflict without talking. There is there's lots of conflict, but there is not emotional connection between the characters. There is not dialogue between the characters. I'm sorry, I got one more thing that's popping into my head. There's going to be a very ranty episode. Yes. Comparing this a little bit, fairly or unfairly, to Captain America's Civil War. Because I think on a very surface level, they are somewhat similar. You have two heroes, uh, Iron Man, Tony Stark, Captain America, and then obviously Batman and Superman, who are going head to head, butting heads with each other. And the one thing that I think that uh, Captain America Civil War does better is that it pretty clearly states that there is a philosophical difference between Cap and Iron Man. That Cap thinks that we need to be free to do what needs to be done to save people. We, we cannot be bound by the Sokovia Accord. We cannot, cannot be bound by laws that are going to restrict us and prevent us from saving people. Iron Man, Tony, says, no, we have to abide by the laws. And they have a discussion. They, they sit down at a table and they, they hash it out. And it's not resolved. But that's where the conflict between those two people come from, right? And with Batman and Superman, I, I, I got the lines, and I can't remember if this is the first time that they meet, but they, um, <laughs> what does he say? The bat's dead? Yep. And bury it. Bury it. Yep. And can, like consider this mercy. And then Bat, what does Batman say? Do you bleed? Do you bleed? Yeah. And it's like, well, these guys aren't friends. You got to also remember that but ne but Tony neither are, and Cap have been friends for they're not four really, years. They're not really friends. Four years though. of working together. They're though. work colleagues. I mean, if, but, we're, if we're being real, they're not really friends. I'm a friend from work. <laughs> well, they're a lot more friends than, than, than Clark and Bruce are, though. I will, I mean, I will give you that. Yeah. But, but it's also like you're not giving it a chance. Like, your first step is to threaten, right? Like if we had a yeah. student who's trying to resolve conflict resolve, right? Sure. 
and their first thing was, you're dead. And the next kid said, do you bleed? We'd be like, yeah. no, no. <laughs> yeah. Take a, take a deep breath. Try sure. again in five minutes, right? Yeah. And so I feel like I'm watching my two middle schoolers squabble over whose pencil it is and threatening each other. And it's like, no, act like adults just for a second. Then we can get to the, the squabble over the pencil. Act like adults for two minutes. Have a discussion. Say why you don't like the way Superman is going about. <laughs> Say why you don't like the way Batman's doing it. And, and there is a little bit of this, but they don't say it to each other. And that's where it's like, there's no connection between these two characters. It's just immediately, well, I don't like you. So we're going to fight. Yeah. Well, okay, I, I think I'm you're, you're not giving enough. Yeah. You you're not giving enough credit to Lex Luthor and his plot to manipulate these two guys, because I think that's part of the issue is that he's keeping them separate because yeah, if they would just sit down and have a conversation about what's going on, then, then we'd have something. You know, I'm, I'm thinking now of, of that scene, right before that scene, Batman's just killing dudes left and right as he's going after that kryptonite. And Superman's clearly on scene when he when he when he when he's there. So if I'm observing this vigilante who I've already seen branding dudes and getting this guy killed in prison and then talking to the guy's you know wife about it and his little kid, because that scene also not in the theatrical gut, but in the ultimate edition where he's feeling empathy for that. He's like, I've seen this guy do violence, 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 violence. And yes, could he have handled it a little softer? Yes. Is he fully realized Superman? Not at this point. You have to get to Justice League for that. And Man of Steel too. Make it happen, people. And and, and, and I get that. I get what you're saying, but it, it's still like, okay, so you know, you bring up a good point that Superman is watching Batman essentially kill these people, right? Oh, yeah. And so it's like, okay, clearly Superman's not okay with that. And and he says as much, you know, at some point when they're at the, at the party, um, at Lex Luthor's party, where he's like, you know, the Batman's a vigilante, takes the justices into his own hands and that kind of thing. But it's like, you know, they're they're kind of holding back because they're not in their personas, right? They're they're at the party, mm -hmm. they're they're kind of being a little distant. I just I can't get over the idea of like Superman coming down and being like, what you did was wrong. You cannot do that. And if you do it again, I will have to do something <laughs> about it, right? But it's saying like, there is a consequence to your actions. When you go on a murder spree, I can't allow that to happen. It's very different than the bat is dead. Consider this mercy. Right. <laughs> and then, I hear what you're saying. And so it's just like, that's where it's, it's just so like, not elegant no it's not you, you would like a more <laughs> polished superman in the in that scene and that's just we just don't have that that version of the character yet in in this scene i i get what you're saying i know i i do i totally i totally see where yeah. you're coming from it, it, and i will throw this out there because I, I have to get it out because you, you know you said that um uh, and you might have to remind me exactly what you said but something about like Okay, if they sit down and have a conversation, maybe this doesn't happen the way it does, right? Mm -hmm. And that's where, you know, I take a look at these these heroes, and I don't think either one of them are really people you look up to because you would hope that adults would sit down and have a conversation to begin with. And I think that's where my comparison with Civil War 
comes in is that they do. They sit down like adults. They don't agree. They aren't necessarily nice to each other, but they have an adult conversation. What is ultimately the cause of the conflict is the fact that Cap and Tony have very different philosophies. And those two philosophies don't work together, right? You can't have both at the same time. And that's where this feels like you're missing that conversation about the philosophy, which I think they're hinting at here and there, mm-hmm. but they're never fully fleshing out that idea of we have different philosophies on how to approach problems. Yeah. And how are we going to resolve this? How are we going to like work through this issue together? And it jumps immediately to violence towards each other, which is not mature. It, it is not heroic. It is none of those things. Which is, again, why we need a world's finest movie with the two of them talking about, you know, why they do what they do. Like, we, we needed to have that movie. And that's that this movie was, and part of it, too, is that you have to understand that studio, none of these, we've talked about this before, that these movies are not like this one small group of people that decide to make this movie. There are so many chefs that get involved in this. And that you do have Warner Brothers who'd wanted to do a Batman versus Superman movie for decades. And they do, and that's kind of the mandate. Like, we're going to do this, and like, we got to have Superman fight Batman. It has like he's going to be the bad guy, and that's that's, so. It's there are some constrictions with that. You have to, I think, to fully appreciate this movie and to to enjoy this movie, that you have to just get on board with certain things that some people just don't want to get on board with, and that's totally fine. And this is where I come back to the characterizations where we're used to seeing. And this is a thing that I've made this point several times. I don't know if I've made it on the podcast that I think that. For better or for worse, DC has advantage or disadvantage with Marvel, depending on how you look at it, of having a legacy of these characters where you've had so many iterations of these characters. Like for some people, Christopher Reeve will always be Superman. It doesn't matter. And I used to even say it. I'm like, until he dies, there's no Superman. I don't care about Tom Welling and Smallville. Like he's not Superman. That's Superman over there or Dean Kane. There is only one Superman, right? I've softened on that sense in my old age. But same thing with Batman. Like Christian Bale is Batman or Michael Keaton is Batman. That's my Batman, right? Well, you don't have that with, you know, my Steve Rogers is the guy from the 1970s cheesy TV show. No, it's, this is the only iteration that you know. And so, you know, I think that that's some of it too. You know, like, well, he, you know, if Christopher Reeve would have said, hey, you know, if you want to step outside, let's talk about this like men. Yes, he probably would have, but that's not the version we're getting. And so, there's a little bit of, of that, I think, as well. That you also And you also have the filmmakers going, we can't just copy that because we did copy that with Superman Returns and people didn't like it. They wanted him to punch stuff. Now he's punching stuff. So pick one, pick a lane, right? And some people will just never be happy. And again, I think, well, you mentioned it at the top and I, I love that you did, that a lot of what we're trying to do with this show too is to say, it's okay to have other opinions. It's okay to like films or dislike films. What we're asking you to do is try and find meaning in even films that maybe you don't like. Find things that are, oh, wow, I never noticed that before. There's something interesting there. And then we can have a discussion about it. Or at the very least, be able to articulate why, right? Why you enjoy it, why you don't enjoy it. And and that's along those lines, that's kind of the purpose behind the aspects is to give you specific concrete things to look for to you know to watch watch for in the in a film and to essentially kind of evaluate them whether they're good or bad 
Agreed. So before we move on to sound, because <laughs> we've been spending a lot of time at the beginning, I, I cannot I cannot leave this section without talking about two things. The the warehouse fight, especially when they pull back and you get to see him fighting four guys at once. And as Corey would say, it's the greatest Batman fight ever on film. And, and I, I have a hard time. Agree. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Uh, and also um, the scene that actually Justin pointed out to me, uh, our friend Justin Eldon pointed out, There's it happens twice, actually, when when Clark, I want to keep calling him Clark, when Superman lands at the Senate building, uh, he lands, he's coming down as the camera pans up. It does it twice. It does it also when he when he uh, meets Batman on the roof. And it's a kind of a cool dynamic shot that I hadn't really paid it that much attention to in previous viewings, but it's just kind of very, it's a cool way to just add more movement to the shot. Yeah. And, you know, I think that um, Zack Snyder and a lot of his work is very visually appealing. Um, and I think that he has a pretty good sense of of camera control and like what he's doing with the camera and what he's filming. Um, you know, most of my problems, if you haven't guessed it already, are not like the the construction itself of like moment to moment, you know, scene. Uh, like, you know, that's that's a, a nice little moment. You have some moments where it's like um, uh, like the dirt rising from the casket, uh, where it's just like visually he is telling you something. And when it's like, OK, that's, you know, oh, all right, cool. Uh, it, it's the, you know, large picture taking this thing in as a whole, looking at the soul of the film, which it's not there. There's no soul. I said, um, but as far as sound, um, while I think the score was actually pretty good, um, the words that jumped into my mind immediately were operatic, uh, lots of, uh, soaring and kind of undulating vocals, um, fairly different score, I think from, um, from other movies. It also uh, bugged me. <laughs> Another thing. Yeah, because even though I, I thought the score was good, you know, it the score itself felt like it was trying very hard to be grand and, like I said, operatic mm-hmm. and over the top. And this is important. And I don't think the film is. <laughs> So <laughs> it's it's fine to have that opinion. We've talked about Hans Zimmer before too, like yeah. specifically with Dune, right? That it like it's heavy anyway, and then you add this layer of Zimmer heaviness, and it's just like it's a lot. It it, it is a, it is a lot, and so either you're coming on board for the gravitas or it, attempted gravitas, or you're kind of bogged down by it. I I do I like the score a lot. I when I I really like I like the Man of Steel score a lot better. I love the the theme the the main title of man of steel the kind of gently tinkling piano there's multiple versions of that that's really good slow and melancholy you have that um you know near the end as well what was really cool i found this time kind of in research is that luther's theme is actually built off of that it's kind of a distorted version and it's, it's piano as well and it's bizarre and freaky and weird but knowing the fact that it is kind of an anti-super uh superman theme i think is is excellent but for me the the easily the standout of of this score is wonder woman's theme 
I, I love that so much. And even how it builds slowly, like the first time you see it at the library, there's just a little sting, just a little bit of strings. And like, I think you hear, you also hear it um, when they're, when he, uh, she meets Bruce at the, like the museum where they were talking about the, the knife that got the Gordian knot and whatnot. You get these little hints of the theme, but you don't get it fully revealed until she actually shows up in costume and then it's on. Yes. And I'll take this time to dump a little bit more on the film. <laughs> that's what I'm here for. There you go. Um, with Wonder Woman, uh, and I do agree. I think the theme, it honestly, if I had to pick one song, the Wonder Woman theme is probably my favorite individual like uh, track from the soundtrack. It is fantastic. I think it is uh, bizarre how she like, the, the film just stops fairly close to like the climax of the film. And she goes on to like YouTube and starts searching for videos of it's not, a, it's an email. It's so slightly we different. spend 15 minutes watching an email. Like, <laughs> no, we've talked about this before. We did a group watch of this like two years ago and talked about how great it would have been to kind of front, put these things in slightly different order and not let us know that she was wonder woman until the very end. Or, have, you know, or like, just make them an end credit scene. Yeah, that would have been cool too. That you you could have done that. Yeah, it would have literally been perfect. That's a fantastic. Yeah. That would be a fantastic end credit scene. Yeah. She opens the email because there's nothing else really going on, so it could right. theoretically be at any time that scene, right? And so you throw that in the film, and then oh wow, here's all the other Justice League members that we're going to see. How cool! Like get excited, but it's just like why stop the film? When you're like for minutes at a time, when you're trying to build up, it, it's kind of like how they threw two episodes of Mando into the middle of Boba Fett. It's yeah. just like, so what I, have, are you doing? I have a counter for, I have a counter for that though, because I wish I'd came up with this theory, but, but I did not, but I, but I will, will jump on it. And that is because people are you too. Well, why, where's Wonder Woman been? Why, you know, she, she left public life in, you know, excuse me, left it in after World War One. And now, she, you know, she sat out World War II. She sat out the Cold War, mostly. We see her in 1984. She shows up a little bit, but still not in the public eye. And some people have argued that this is because she's finally seen there are other people like her, that that's her motivation for coming back. And so, again, it's maybe you don't buy into that. Maybe that's not that doesn't work for you. But if you consider the fact that she's looking at that and then, oh, though this moment is, I can see that might be reasoning behind the filmmakers putting it there. That, oh, okay, I'm not alone. Now is time to get, you know, get more involved because there are these other people out here. So I would argue that. I will also say that there's a handful of moments that just don't make any sense. (laughs) And specifically around Wonder Woman, like when they finally get together, right? To fight Doomsday. Yeah. um, They have this moment where I think Wonder Woman like jumps off and it cuts back to superman and batman and it's the whole is she with you no i, I thought she was with you oh it's so funny but, though but doesn't like batman's met her multiple times so it's like shouldn't he know who she is yeah but maybe he still <laughs> thinks that she's with superman because they're both super powered he doesn't know superman from adam <laughs> no it doesn't make sense <laughs> i love it it's so great it just, it's so great. It, i just wish that stuff wasn't in the trailer that that's my biggest my biggest gripe with this film period is the fact that wonder woman is in the trailer because 
having that reveal in the film, I think would have helped word of mouth a ton and just would have been a way more enjoyable experience. Don't have doomsday in the trailer either. Just don't tell us anything, have everything. All the stuff could just be from the first, you know, third of the movie and just go from that. There's plenty of stuff to see there. Maybe you throw the warehouse fight scene in that's from later in the film, but there's no content, but add no context. You're just like, well, Batman's just awesome. Just kicking people's butts. No, it's just like, yeah, he's Batman. Of course he is. Did you think it was a little weird the way they had Batman move around and stuff? Like, I'm thinking when he was in the very beginning. Um, yes. Okay. Up in the top? Yeah. Out of focus? Very yep. cool. And then he's kind of like swinging around. But like... Or whatever it, he's doing, crawling? I don't know what he's doing. Yeah. It, to me, it felt a little weird. Like, not not the biggest deal. Like, I... Yeah. But it just very felt supernatural. Like, exactly. Yes. Yeah. It felt... It felt... Yeah, supernatural is a good word for it. And well, like, I'm, I'm assuming he had gear that would allow him to do that, special gauntlets or something. Because again, the conceit that Batman, and that's another thing you have to buy into, is that Batman has been Batman for 20 plus years mm-hmm. and somehow is not a public figure. Like that's some careful stuff. It, it's sure. You know, it's like Wonder Woman in 1984, where she just she was there, she showed up, and you know that shopping mall and destroyed all the cameras or whatever. <laughs> whatever. It is what it is. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to point out uh, two things in sound just really fast. Sure. And I'm not the first one to pick this out, but I definitely noticed it this time. And I want to make sure that our, our audience hears is that um, the dream, there's lots of dream sequences. In this, And I'm going to mention there's an article that we should read. I'm going to put it in the show notes about the dreams and stuff. There's when he has the entering the, the mausoleum dream where the bat attacks him, that throughout that you have the world engine hum from Man of Steel playing through there, which is very evocative of you know, it's doom. Like this is, you're overpowered. Like it's kind of just going back to that whole powerlessness thing, but this is kind of how he feels. He's being consumed by his rage. He's, you know, he's powerless in that fight. Now he's being consumed by the bat persona, right? The actual animalistic bat persona. That's the way I read that one. And then I also just wanted to mention that I love the voice modulator. I think that's just long overdue for Batman. It makes so much more sense, especially with Bruce Wayne being a public figure, like his voice would be everywhere so I, I really like that addition to to the batman mythos great um as far as performance um i have very brief thoughts because i i think the casting first of all was quite good i think the performances were all very spot on uh, their performance wise i didn't have any any issues uh with the performances I don't think any of them were like amazing, but I think that was for my perspective, it was more to do with what the actors were given, (laughs) but I think what they were given, everyone did a very good job with. Um, I will say like, this isn't my favorite Alfred, uh, but I believe it's Jeremy Irons. Yeah. It's totally fine in it. Um, and again, I think that's more to do with the script than anything else than his acting. Um, uh, uh, Batfleck, uh, Ben Affleck is, is, an interesting choice for Batman. And I think he pulls it off. Um, yeah, I, I think the acting is totally fine. I don't think yeah. there's anything wrong with any of the choices that, that were made. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I've been a fan of Ben Affleck's for a while. I, I mean, I'm one of those people that says daredevil is a good film. The two hour version, the director's cut is, is, is a good film. Again, that's another one where they butchered it. So maybe we'll do that at some point. Um, but I liked him. In, I mean, I like Armageddon. That's one of my wife's favorite movies, and I, I enjoy that movie as well. I've always liked him. Liked him with Matt Damon and 
Goodwill Hunting and several of the early Kevin Smith films. Uh, but I didn't have a problem with him. I thought he pulled, and I think that he more than held his own uh, as Batman in, in this film. Uh, I wanted to point out, we talked about a lot of the quotes. I like this Alfred. I think that I, I mentioned earlier, he's kind of Bruce's conscience. And I think that there's a couple of exchanges that they have that I think are really telling. And I wanted to point them out. And then I have one um, from Superman that we talked about earlier, uh, alluded to at least. Well, when he says, when Bruce says, says, we're criminals, Alfred, we've always been criminals. Nothing's changed. I just really saw that as him just continuing to justify and reconcile whatever he's doing, whatever limit it takes. He's just like, this is just the next evolution of that. And then you also have Alfred saying, that's how it starts, or the fever, the rage, the feeling of powerlessness. It turns good men cruel. And he doesn't say it turns you cruel, but that's heavily implied that that's who he's talking about. And I just look at that, like we're talking about thesis statements, like that's, you know, I don't know if that's Terry or if that's um, Goyer who wrote that line, but that to me, like, that's the point. That's what's happened to Batman, that he has become just, his rage has overtaken him and the powerlessness. And I think that when we get to, you know, the infamous Martha scene, that that's what you're getting is that he recognizes that now he is, I'll just jump to it right now, that, you know, he is the one who has the power and is over a powerless person that he's essentially putting Clark in the place that he was at. These reverse roles right now, he's Joe chill in that scene. Martha, Martha, Martha. Okay. Love it so much. <laughs> See, all, all I can say about that scene is when I watched it in real time, I was like, Oh my gosh. I just now realized they have the moms of the same name. I know where this is going. And it, worked for me on an emotional level and i know that's not true for a lot of people and that's fine you're totally welcome to your opinions so people think it's it's silly whatever you know terry always said like we had to have a moment where you have to have this snap it has to happen quickly this is what they gave us we had to do it there's like a studio mandate and this is what they came up with yeah it worked for me and i know it's worked for a lot of people a lot of people it didn't work for that's the beautiful thing about art it's subjective so um, <laughs> um, I, I will first agree with you that that's another line that is kind of thesis statement for Batman uh, that Alfred says, right? That yeah. powerlessness turns people cruel, essentially saying that when people feel powerless, that's when they feel the need to lash out, right? What I think is kind of what feels like a mixed metaphor, because I, I get what you're saying uh, within the Martha moment, right? where he is flashing back to that moment when his father said Martha when they were murdered, right? And mm-hmm. they, the parents were essentially powerless against Joe Chill, right? But it's like, the whole point with this is, I don't know. It, I guess for me, what I can boil it down to, and, and this is sort of what I came to as a conclusion for this, is that it just feels like a deus ex machina. Uh, and you said where it's like they have to have this snap moment. Mm. And it's like, that doesn't work for me. <laughs> yeah. And that's totally fine. <laughs> because it's like, you know, Batman is in this blind rage. He is about to murder Superman with a spear. Yep. And... And like that to me is not enough to to get to to knock him out of that murder rage that he's in. Like if you take 
all of Batman. And I think we actually have a pretty good grasp of the kind of person that Batman is, right? Which is a very different kind of Batman in this movie. But if we take that kind of Batman and all of his thoughts and and his radicalization, as we mentioned earlier, I don't think that matters, right? Because if there's like a 1% chance that Superman could kill everybody, he has to be destroyed. I, I don't, I just don't see how that is overridden yeah. by Martha. <laughs> oh, I have, I have more. Go ahead. Because, okay. So here's here. And I, and I think that again, my reading on this changes as I, as I watch it and as I do research and see what other people have said. And I think that what I see now is when, when Clark says Martha, that he doesn't flip yet. I think that he's just confused. And I think that you can see that in, you know, in, in the performance. And I think this is a brilliant thing with costuming that you start to see like half of his face, like he's regaining his humanity, right? He's at least the, the cracks are starting to show in this, you know, this shell that he's this, you know, dense, you know, numb shell that he's put around himself. But when you have Lois come in, now it becomes soup. Now all of a sudden it's really complicated too. Like now you're just going to kill a guy in front of this woman. You're going to kill this woman too. You have that, but you also have, he's saying, why did you say that name? He's, he, he thinks that he's referencing, you know, Bruce's mom. Bruce thinks he's referencing Martha Wayne. And she says, it's his mother's name. I think that's really the moment that where you start to have the, this is a guy with a, with a mother. This isn't just an alien. This isn't just this other thing that I have to destroy. This is a, this is a person. Yeah. But so is the guy he branded earlier in the film. Like he had a mom too. (laughs) Yeah. But his mom's name wasn't Martha. (laughs) He doesn't know that. (laughs) It might've been Maria. I don't know. (laughs) I, I hear what you're saying. Sure. And I, and that's kind of where I'm at, where it's just like, you're building up Batman as a certain kind of person. And I just don't think that at that point, oh, you have a mom named Martha. Yeah. You're still an existential threat to me and to Gotham and to the world. Right. I just don't see this Batman, you know, getting out of that shell because, oh, you have a mom. You know, Thanos had a mom too. And ironically, Many you don't know this. Yeah. Uh, Thanos's mom was guess what? Martha. <laughs> Look it up. Is that true? No, it's not true. <laughs> okay, that would have been cool. <laughs> but it's like I, I, you, you spend, I know he's got the G. Yeah. Uh, okay. You, you spend all this time like building up this Batman as yeah. this, you know. Uh, see, the, the cracks are starting to show. Maybe he's not super evil. He just needed that little push. I, I, think, needed... <laughs> I do love the armor thing. I did not catch that. Yeah. But but again, that's like, that's not character development. That That's that's a very, you know, well done production uh, technique. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. But that's not development. We don't see, you know, in your Batman's the world's greatest detective. He doesn't find out who Superman is. He doesn't investigate him. He really should have because Luther <laughs> <Yeah>. does. <laughs> but see, that's kind of my point. Is like blind rage, man. It is. It is. And for the the blind rage to just stop on a dime like that, yeah. 
is is Deus Ex Machina. And it, that's just not fulfilling. And I It's Martha Ex Machina. That's right. It's Martha Ex Machina. That's it's the, Mar- that's the new phrase. Or right Deus there. Ex Martha. Deus Ex Martha. Prob- probably probably Martha Ex Machina. Martha it's Martha in Martha in the machine. That makes sense. <laughs> it's, that's what we'll call it. Hashtag that, Martha. That's the name X of the Machina. episode. Okay. <laughs> um it, it, that it's not earned. I get that's where they're going, and I and I and I think you're right. I think that's what they wanted. I think that's what they intended, but it's not earned. Yeah, Super or, or Batman does not experience like he doesn't get the amount of information. There's nothing that happens in that fight that would explain who Superman is, right? And Superman even tries to have a conversation with him. He does, which, which people have said he doesn't try, but he does. He totally he, does. I mean, too late. I mean, you already said bad is dead. So first impressions, <laughs> dude. But never get a second chance. Never get a second chance for first impressions. But it's like Batman is in already in the blind rage. And that's that's kind of my point. Is like yeah. if you have a rational discussion at the beginning of that fight, yeah. that may be before you get into the bloodlust. Right? Yeah. But that's not what happens. So, so I got a lovely counter for you because you brought up Civil War earlier because yes. I'm just, this is my last thing I'm going to say about this. And then I'm going to bring my, my Clark quote back in the end fight after they look at the videotape, which is a, somehow there's a magic videotape that shows Bucky under the influence, killing Tony's parents. We've already had the discussion. And even though he knows that Bucky was not in his right mind, and in fact, it wasn't Bucky at all. Now he's going to fight Bucky and try and kill Cap. That I have more of a problem with than the Martha moment. And that's a discussion probably for another day. But you talk about, you know, they, so the movie can happen. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, thanks, Ryan. That's what it is. But is that good movie making? I <laughs> well, think- apparently it's excused in a Marvel movie, but not in a DC movie. Now, I did say that there were other issues with Civil War. Yeah, no, that's true. And so, that would be one. Uh, and I like that. I love that movie, too. I just like that always. All I can say is. And I said it before and I'll say it again, is that that movie or that element in Batman v Superman worked for me emotionally. Whereas when I watched Civil War a little later on, I was like, really? I don't buy that. And again, art is subjective and you're entitled to your opinion. And that's wonderful that you can talk about it as long as you're doing it in a civil manner. And you're just stupid. No, you're totally entitled to your opinion. Great. Yeah. And I, and I do think that this is part of the reason why this movie was difficult for me to watch and really dive deep into is because there is some level on an emotional level that I did enjoy parts of the film. But then it's like, for me, the more I think about it, the dumber the movie feels (laughs) and the dumber I feel. (laughs) And that's, that's where I, I feel like there are some movies that can be extremely successful uh, with that. And, and and I'm not saying that the Batman movies are, you know, dumb movie, dumb action movies or whatever. But I think that, you know, you, you know, this is the third and kind of a, a trilogy of episodes that we've done about kind of Batman intros. And we have, uh, was it 79 Nicholson's um, Batman? 89. Yep. 89. Yep. And there's still a lot of camp, right? It, there's darkness, but it's still, it's pretty buoyed by this campiness, this goofiness, you know. Yeah. And then you take Nolan's Batman and Batman Begins it's very grounded in reality, but it's, there's still lots of humor. There's still lots of jokes and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then in this film, it's like, 
they're trying for a much more philosophical, deeper drama film. Yes. And they're it, they're too ambitious. They're Icarus flying into the sun where they are trying and failing to to plumb the depths of this um, potential that a Batman versus Superman movie have. And that's where it's just like, you know, you're shooting for the moon. I should say you're shooting for the sun uh, for, you know, all this this talk about uh, Batman and is he bad? Is he good? Is Superman a god? Do Will people accept him? Will he not? Uh, Lex Luthor, what the hell is he doing with Doomsday? That's a stupid idea. But it's just like, you know, you're, you're diving into all these ideas, but it's yeah. it's a mile wide and inch deep. And it's trying to be smarter than it is. And that is why I don't like the movie. I love it so much. I just wish <laughs> that we restore the Snyderverse so we can get all of those things tied up. Oh. All right, here's... Here is here's my here's my line. This is no, my last one. Can't, I we can't restore this. I keep seeing you Wait. on on our our shared Twitter saying restore the Snyderverse, <laughs> and I I just die a little bit inside yes, every time I, need, I see I it. Need, I need more Men of Steel. I let you do it um, because I know it's never going to happen. So oh, that's we'll, we brought, a little glimmer. We got home, the Snyder right? cut. We got the Snyder <laughs> cut. <though. laughs> so when Clark says, "This is my world. You are my world." When that happens, that this is him actually choosing, and this is where he sacrifices himself to kill doomsday. And I wanted to talk about, I'll talk about it now, actually, this is one of my, my final thoughts, but I think it's, it's, it's good thing to bring up now is because we're running really long on this episode. We're going to, yeah, just kind of fly through some stuff is that you have one of the themes of this. There's a lot of themes. You're, you're right. There is a lot of things going on with this theme with, with this movie is we like to talk about the myth of redemptive violence. And I really looked at this time that that Doomsday is that personified, that the more violence you do to him, the stronger he gets. You cannot finish this guy off with violence. The only but, thing but that you can stop him with. But don't they feel, kill him with violence? The only way they kill him, though, is with Clark's sacrifice. He kills him with love for the world, man. Again, going back to the Christ figure. And this, again... You see, and, and there's a beautiful shot. It's not hard to find uh, that you see when they bring him down because it's kind of up on a hill. It's again, the, the imagery is, it's very much on the nose. You can see three telephone poles that have been warped into like cross shapes. Like it's Christ coming down from Golgotha. It is with the Trinity standing there. It's, this is Snyder's, you know, this is the way he, he sees Superman. Like he is Jesus. He sacrificed himself to save us. He could not have done it by fighting. And that's another thing I would have said earlier. You know, when he's in the, in the Senate chambers and he doesn't say anything, this is Jesus going before Pilate and all those guys. Like, I'm just going to stand here and I'm just going to take it. I'm just going to let you say your piece. And then finally, you know, we'll move on because this is where it's at, man. I'm in. Let's do it. I, it's okay. I can it, see you laughing. That's fine. <laughs> I just, you know, I, I haven't read that section of the Bible in a little while. So I, I, I <laughs> do kind of forget where the, the lead line bomb went off in, in Pilate's office. <laughs> Again, speaking of the ultimate edition, you have that scene later in the old, he says to Lois, he's like, 
I, you know, I, I think I didn't see it because I didn't want to see it. Right. And then they have the scene where it's like, no, it was it's it was lead. lead lined. Luther is so smart. He did this. He's manipulating these guys. And like, you didn't think that was important for characterization. You just have ambivalent, doesn't give a crap about people, Superman versus wow, he got outsmarted or, you know, manipulated yeah. or what have you. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Superman comes off really, really poorly theatrical edition he's like murdering oh, guys yeah. with guns horrible and and didn't care enough to stop a bomb right versus not he wasn't even there and uh you know it happened in superman the movie too which you haven't seen yet but you need to we'll do that at some point so i have to say like, luther's always figuring stuff out man though that um it, what you said was beautiful uh, about the myth of redemptive violence and i think i had never considered doomsday as a personification of that idea but I think that is 100% spot on. I think that's a beautiful way to put it. And and honestly, it makes me appreciate the movie just a little bit more. Not much. Yes. A little bit more. Hey, that's all a little bit more. Now. So you'll at least watch the movie. Because <laughs> you finished this movie and you haven't finished Man of Steel, but you need to. I do think that it it's muddled in the I, I get the sacrifice, right? Yeah. But I do think it's a little ironic that it's still violent, that you're, you're still <laughs> killing Doomsday. with. Yes, it's sacrifice, but it's still a violent sacrifice. Sure. I, I hear what you're saying. <laughs> so, and, but see, I, think, I think you have a, a better grasp of, of the potential of this story than, than the people making it did. <laughs> and that's where I said earlier, I like your version yeah. of BVS better than Snyder's yeah. version. This is what I'm talking about. That would be a beautiful story. That would be yeah. beautiful. I, I honestly think that that right there is in some ways similar, like Luke's sacrifice uh, in The Last Jedi. Mm -hmm. That is very much the myth of redemptive violence. He's not going to be violent, but he's going to figure out a way to save yeah. everybody. That also takes a lot of creativity and circumstances, you know, where it's like you can't have force projection in PVS. Uh, so, but it's like you do have a ghost though with his dad because that's a Terio thing apparently. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's like true. Han Solo and yeah, whatever. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Last last couple things. Unless you have something you want to. No, no. Go ahead. So I I do want to talk about the desert scene. Yeah. Which I also think is and is just wild that it's in this film at all. Putting aside Flash coming in at the end which is just a weird, like, I get that it's like connected universe, right? DC, oh, okay. Oh, you're talking about the, the, the nightmare the, sequence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, uh, it's a desert. There's, there's multiple nightmares. Oh, that's true. Yes. Desert. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the nightmare with a with K. Yes. Yeah, so go for it. putting aside the Flash, because I think that's also a very odd choice, but it's also kind of separate, right? Because it's kind of hinting at larger universe. Yes. Um, that is, it's just a weird scene. I mean, yeah. On one hand, just the execution of the scene. Parts of it are really cool. Batman's costume, very cool. Um, the fact that everyone with their guns runs up and swings them at Batman instead of just shooting him. <laughs> you love that when I, that happens. I can't not see it. It's it's horrible. <laughs> like, it's one thing if... Because um, isn't it in, like, the warehouse fight? Doesn't he throw, like, little bombs or something on their weapons when he first comes yeah. in? Yeah, he does. And so it's like... Okay, if you do something like that and it's like, oh, their guns are disabled, so they're using them as a club, sure. 
I, yeah. It's nitpicky. I know. They had just ran out of bullets, <laughs> like just before this scene. But I, but I can't not see it where the guy runs up and yeah. with his gun and then Batman punches him. And it's just like, what are you doing? So cool. Breaks that guy's neck. But then that it, it just feels so out of place because I, since the first time I've seen it, I've read more DC comics. And so it, it it fits a little bit better into the into my personal knowledge of of the DC universe. Like it right. makes more sense to me now. But coming in as a relative outsider to DC stories, it's like I don't know what's going on. It's like what is all this? Why are the why are the locusts coming? You know, from the air, sure. and and why is Batman doing the laser eyes and vaporizing yeah. people? Like none of this tracks like it is just completely random. And I feel like it's something that again would have been really interesting as a post credit scene, but I don't think it belongs in the, the main film. I don't think it, yeah. it does. There's, there's been some arguments to that. Um, I think this is another thing that there are some very intentionally vague things in this film. I think they're intentional. And part of that is, again, there's a great article, and, and uh, I'm, like I said, I'm going to put it in the show notes. I mentioned this before. Uh, it's called uh, Applying Suspense to Archetypal Superheroes, Hitchcockian Ambiguity in Batman v Superman, Donna Justice. And it references, I won't go into it here because it's pretty long and we're running long on time, but I'm, I highly encourage everybody to check it out. It does talk a lot about, in Hitchcock movies, having sequences where you're like, I'm not sure if that's a dream or if it's a memory. And that being part of how those movies worked as thrillers. And that's kind of what you're seeing here where like, is it a dream? Is it a dream within a dream? What's the purpose of that? What we know from it is that he takes it as motivation to stop Superman by whatever means necessary. And you have a couple of things where you're like, I'm not sure exactly what role dark side and or Steppenwolf are playing in this film. We get a little bit of, you know, we have the scene at the very end, again, of the Ultimate Edition, where you see Luther communing with Steppenwolf. Uh, and he's different at the end of this movie than he is throughout most of it. Like, I read it as he's been, I don't know, if brainwashed or manipulated in some form uh, that way. And I'm, I'm assuming that that's something of what's happening with Bruce as well with the nightmare sequence and how you're getting that. Where you're kind of like, we need to push these pieces together this way so that it opens the door for you know, dark side and, and the whole, uh, his army and all of that stuff. So that's the way I read it. And I'm just thinking, you mentioned this earlier, like I have a different version of the movie in my head than you do, or than the filmmakers had. It's, I kind of, we've had this discussion about, about star Wars now too, where it's like, it's a multimedia thing. Like I like, I still don't like the movie, but I can appreciate rise of Skywalker more because I know the ancillary material. And so I fill in the gaps subconsciously. And I know I do that with this film as well, that I'm like, okay, well, that's what that is. I'm good. Okay. That's yep. Okay. And so maybe it's rationalization. Maybe it's just appreciation. Maybe it's just interpretation, whatever it is. Again, I've said it before. I'll say it again. It's art in one form or another. And you're, you know, everyone's entitled to their opinion. So hopefully enjoy it, at least for, if nothing else, the technical aspects where you can, you know, like we said, at least discuss them intelligently. Yeah, I think that's that's an interesting point about the ambiguity. Uh, there's a YouTube video that I, I quite love, um, and it's actually about ambiguity in film. 
specifically uh, the person uses uh, Annihilation. Have you ever seen that? It's a uh, not. it's a very deep and heavy film. <laughs> it's not light watching, um, but it has an ambiguous ending. And the, uh, the the person in the YouTube video, his point was that ambiguity specifically is used so the audience has to make connections on a thematic level. Mm-hmm. There's not a black and white answer. You're supposed to imply based on what the uh, characters have done, what they have said, you know, the whole drill, right? It's, it's thematic. And that's, I see that. I could see how the, the nightmare scene could be ambiguous, right? It, it is kind of ambiguous. It is kind of out of nowhere. Uh, but then that to me kind of reads as, okay, what are the thematic implications of this? And I get that it's used as motivation. And I, you know, I think that's true. Um, I don't know. It, it just doesn't, uh, it just doesn't track uh, for me, even though like by itself, I think it's kind of a fun enough scene, you know, just right. as like, it looks cool. It looks cool. <laughs> it's an IMAX. Yes. So I and think it's revisited in Snyder cut. Yeah. Yes. Which you get a little, you get a little I bit more of that. Like, but <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much. I was I'm, so excited when they came back. I'm, <laughs> I have issues with that as well. Um, we but that's, do that at some point. That's for another episode. It is. It is another one. So on that note, do you have any other final notes before we, before we wrap up? Um, no, I think I have ranted my piece more than enough for one episode. So here's, here's my last thing. And it's, it's literally, it, it's a quote more or less it's a paraphrase. Should Superman act unilaterally? If Superman exists, must there be a Superman? And if he did, is it okay if he acts unilaterally? Would you be okay with that? That is a very deep question for an old man at 8.30 at night. Yeah. (laughs) Um, My answer might have been different an hour ago. (laughs) I, that, that is a very difficult question. Yeah. I don't have an answer. I I, I I just, yeah. I I think it's an interesting question and I love that the movie asks that, that you go, huh, maybe, maybe it's okay that we are a little bit skeptical sometimes. Yeah. I think that's, it's a great question because it's open-ended. There's no right or wrong answer necessarily. Um, I, I don't have an answer for you. I, I, I would have to think about that much harder uh, than, than right, you know, than I have time for right now. I think it's a wonderful question that um, is is one of the more interesting aspects uh, that the film brings up. Yeah. So if you're listening, we'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Like, do you think should Definitely. Superman act unilaterally? Because again, there's lots of right answers there. So right. as we close, we just want to say thank you so much for listening. If you would like to connect with us, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook. Email us at readingbetweenreels at gmail.com or use the SpeakPipe app on our website. And if you enjoy the show, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast catcher. We'd love to hear your feedback, especially about that question. Should Superman act unilaterally? And it really helps us get the word out about the podcast, guys. Those reviews are huge. And if you haven't yet, you can join our Facebook group and talk about things there. It's a safe place to share your thoughts and discuss all things related to movies. 
one last thing. Our next episode will be a review of Taika Waititi's Jojo Rabbit. Send us an email or voicemail about your favorite moments from Jojo Rabbit, and we'll share them on the next episode. 